0: Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Never Welcome to the road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner podcast network, where we look at the training of eight of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in February 2020. And in this episode, we talk to the just absolutely fantastic Sarah Bishop, my goodness, The run that this woman has been on in triathlon over the summer is just absolutely stunning. To remember, she bought her first road bike in February. February. And now she's one of the best triathletes in the world in her age group. It's just a remarkable thing to even say. Never mind, witness. And in this episode, we chronicle not only the results she's had, but much more importantly, how she has achieved them, because it's just it's beyond belief what she's been able to do. And it's so interesting to then take what she's done and then think about what she's going to be able to do in the uh, Olympic trials for the marathon, because obviously that was her original specialty. And here we are. She's almost a, a different athlete than she was last year at this time. So. I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, this episode is presented by Inside Tracker. Listen, all the diet craziness is just nuts. It really is. And the fact of the matter is, is that oftentimes anytime you listen to some wacky person talk about diet, you're probably getting less information than you already had in the first place. And that's why it's so important to individualize your diet in a way to make sure that you're optimizing everything about yourself and your athletic performance. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track 43 different biomarkers and they have a cadre of specialists that can then use their, using their algorithm, recommend what foods you can be eating to basically shore up any deficiencies you have or optimize others. Also, you can plan your meals. You get all these different uh, things on their website that allow you to eat in a way that is not only helpful but delicious. And the fact of the matter is that diet is just getting crazier and crazier, and it doesn't have to be that nuts. And that's exactly the kind of simplicity and expert advice that you get from Inside Tracker. So go to InsideTracker.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save today. So here's my episode with Sarah Bishop. Sarah Bishop, welcome back to the
1: show. Hey, Matt, how's it going?
0: It's going well for me, but not nearly as well as is going for you. Holy cow. I loved following like your your European exploits courtesy of you and your husband Brian. What a trip you all just had.
1: Yeah, it was. It was it was definitely a wild trip and quite the experience. So, I'm excited to tell you about it, you know?
0: For sure. And and this is something that we should I think our first conversation um, we talked about how just you, as a couple, you and Brian have always just been like a traveling pair, like ever since the beginning of your relationship. Like, obviously, this one was centered upon your, you know, going to the world championships in the triathlon. With that said, like, that's just kind of like been your MO. You and Brian have always been, you know, world travelers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Ironman works out for us pretty well or is starting to because a lot of the races are in really – Nice destinations, you know, so this is a kind of our first foray into that um, being able to combine, you know, racing and traveling overseas um, in one trip. So that was uh, really convenient.
0: Yeah, for sure. And last time we spoke, it was right near the end of June, beginning of July. And you had really gone on a nice little run with triathlon in terms of placing really high in some local races and kind of surprising yourself with how things were going. And boy, since then, it's gone to like three different levels in terms of not only your results compared to other people, but just overall, you know, you getting better and better at this. So you've done so many races since, you know, over the last three months, I guess let's just you know what races have you done just so that people are aware of i mean you've always been you've always been someone who who just loves to race and i think that this summer really has been no different
1: yeah uh that that's true i mean in um the ironman triathlon world it's it's more acceptable i think to race a lot for whatever reason um more than um you know the, the marathon world so um But for me, it doesn't make a difference. I was going to race a lot anyway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I did uh, Chattanooga 70.3 the end of May. And then I did Steelhead 70.3 the end of June. Um, Muncie 70.3 in Indiana, mid-July. Ohio 70.3 the end of July. And then I did age group nationals um, the beginning of August. Uh, then I did the Chicago triathlon turned duathlon mid-Aug- uh, mid-August. And then that all culminated to the um, 70.3 World Championships um, just a couple weeks ago in France. So yeah, so it was quite the summer for sure, <laughs> say the least. So when
0: you, so let's just talk about performing on race day in light of the fact that I don't, we'll we'll talk about the world championships because that's kind of a separate thing a little bit, but with all these other races, what was it like for you in terms of, you know, racing versus training and, you know, recovery and being fresh? Like, how do you approach these races when they're so packed together and you're spending so much time trying to improve as much as possible in between the races?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you know, when when you ask that question, I think of something that Sarah Hall said recently. You know, people, you know, she's kind of um, uh, the exception in uh, the elite ma- or the pro marathon world, where she likes to race a lot, and um, she announced that she was doing pretty much two marathons back to back recently. You know, this fall. And people were amazed by that. And she said, Well, I pretty much run a marathon as hard as I can in practice every weekend. So it's just business as usual. And you know, I really that really resonated with me because that's almost how I feel. You know, I'm doing two to two and a half hours of exercise a day. Um, you know, an hour to hour and a half of biking, an hour of running, and I'm trying to do, you know, swim nearly every day too. So When it comes down to it, you know, the race is not that much different. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not racing every single day. But as far as the volume of work, um, it's, you know, it's just not that different. Um, So I, you know, in order to perform my best um, on race day, I usually only do like a two or three day taper. I, I mean, that's not even really a taper. I just take it a little bit easier. Um, but because the event is so aerobic, I don't want to sacrifice a lot of fitness. Um, uh, so I usually just don't really taper. Um, and it's proven to work well for me. Um, I just keep the ball rolling, you know, the next week, you know, I might take three days really easy. And when I say really easy, I mean, I'm still, putting in the volume of work i'm just not doing anything intense you know until my legs are recovered um but for the most part i feel more recovered after a half ironman than i ever did um maybe even after racing a half marathon um you just can't push yourself you know at the end of um swimming and biking in a, in a half marathon like you can um you know in an open marathon race so so yeah, it's weird. Like I just I don't feel like it's all that intense um, as far as recovery goes. So I don't really need to. Um, I don't need to taper as much, or really, I don't need as much recovery from the event. So, so yeah, I mean, I the, I just keep rolling as far as training goes from from race to race. And I'd heard
0: the expression regarding ultra, you know, ultra marathons and ultras about how it's not necessarily about going faster it's about the ability not to slow down is what makes like the elites the elites right because they're not running they're not god they're killing it right like even zach bitter when he ran the hundred mile record um a couple months ago it wasn't like he was running some ungodly pace it was that he was running some ungodly pace for so long And when you have that component, how does that factor into your training of, you know, not necessarily getting faster per se, but just making it so you're not slowing down over those, you know, four to four and a half hours on race day?
1: I would say it's less intensity and just a lot more volume of work. Um, You know... When I was training for just specifically for marathons and half marathons, I was probably doing, you know, maybe nine hours of running, 10 hours of running a week. And right now I'm probably up to like 17 to 18 hours of, you know, run, bike, and or yeah, run, bike, and swim. Um, So it's just a lot of aerobic exercise (laughs) uh, because the event is four and a half hours long. You don't need to be, you know, it doesn't need to be like really intense. You just need, a lot of, um, aerobic volume in order to be able to sustain, um, your, your pace throughout the entire distance. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, what's been interesting though, is I've, you know, I've, I've recognized how, like what you're saying, it's, you know, it's not about, it's, it's more about not slowing down than anything else. And I've been placing a lot higher as far as my overall placement in, you know, 70.3s than I ever would have in, um, in marathons as far as like beating the men. And it's because there's much less of this power component, you know, it's not more, it's not raw power necessary. It's, you know, pure endurance and even mental, um, capability to push through to the very end, you know, and that's the, that's the great equalizer between men and women. You know, when you start getting longer and longer in these aerobic distances and these, and these, um, ultra races, um, you know, the, the equalizer is that it's more about aerobic ability than, uh, raw power and speed that, you know, men have a natural, you know, advantage over, uh, over women, you know?
0: Yeah, and how has it affected you? Obviously, you know you're you're a very high energy person. Um, you know, you did what like twelve races in fourteen weeks last fall. We talked about that in our first episode. So you've always been very high energy. You want to do a lot. Uh, you just have a really big motor. So with this you know, almost, almost doubling the amount of volume you do per week, even if it's maybe less intense, how has it, you know, how have you been able to deal with that kind of workload considering, you know, you're also, you know, a mom of a bunch of crazy kids who are running everywhere and you're, you know, I love, I love how you talk about it. Obviously you, you love being a mom, but your kids seem to be just as high energy as you are. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so how, so how is it like balancing all that workload? Cause you're, obviously, you have a lot of goals and you put a lot of time into it. Um, uh, But it also, again, you, you, you really, you doubled your output relatively quickly from a weekly mileage or weekly time perspective
1: well uh you know i started off at you know 10 11 hours a week and just slowly have added you know more and more over the weeks in a way that i can handle the training um the biking and swimming it's because it's so uh little impact um it really doesn't take a lot out of me um yeah, it, it's tiring, but it. I I would say this kind of training doesn't tire me out nearly as much as running 90 miles a week um, because 90 miles a week is just the impact of that, um, I feel like, wipes me out way more than um, doing, like, 50 to 60 miles a week, maybe, of running on top of biking and swimming that's very little impact. And, and the swimming helps recover the legs a lot, actually. And the biking... Um, the biking doesn't feel hard to me. It's just time consuming, you know? So the training, I, I feel like it's a lot easier on the body in general. Um, I think it's a, a lot harder mentally because it's so much more and you just have to have the motivation to do all of the, all of the training necessary to compete at us, you know, this, a certain level at the elite level, you know, in Ironman triathlon. But, um, as far as being physically exhausting, it's, it's not as bad as you would think. It's not as bad as you would think. Um, the impact is so much less, you know, in, on the body than, it, than training for a marathon that um, I feel a lot better. I mean, I feel like a, a much more well-rounded athlete. My legs are a lot fresher for running, even though I'm running a lot less. I feel like I'm still in really good open running shape because my legs feel so much better than they were feeling when I was running, you know, 80, 90 miles a week. So it's kind of a good balance for me, honestly. And I enjoy, uh, you know, breaking it. I enjoy the, you know, the multidiscipline training breaks up, uh, the monotony of, you know, so many hours of, of running. So it's been, it's been a really good change actually.
0: So how has your body changed Uh, Now that you've added so much swimming and biking and you're obviously using more muscles and different muscles much more extensively than you have in the past.
1: I I feel a lot stronger overall. I think that surprised me. Like my, just my arms, my back, my legs, like, as a complete athlete, I, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone else sees as changes, but I do. And I just feel way stronger. It's really encouraged me, actually, to get in the weight room. <laughs> I just feel so much stronger. I'm like, I feel so good feeling so strong from the biking, you know, um, with my quads. And and also, you know, you're using your triceps and your arms and your back and your core when you're in the arrow position. And then swimming is all arms. It really is. Um, and so, yeah, it just makes me feel really good, like a really well-rounded athlete, um, more so than, you know, when I was just purely, purely running. So, yeah, that's been, that's been fun. Because I really, I don't know if I expected that, but um, definitely feel a lot stronger overall. And, you know, like I was watching these women at the, the world champs and, um, you know, the, the best, you know, pro athletes in the world. And they're running, Matt, you know, 117, 118 off the bike after, you know, biking 56 miles, you know, 4,000 feet up, you know, in in the Alps and down like that. It's just incredible. And it's because they are so strong, you know? So it's just been like really just mind blowing to me that somebody can do that. But I, I, I get it now. Like, I mean, just the strength that it takes to be able to do that is incredible. And I'm, I'm starting to see, like, see it in myself. Like, okay, now I can kind of, I understand, you know, how they're doing that because before when I knew that women could do that, I just couldn't even understand how somebody would run 117 off the bike, you know, but I'm now seeing like, wow, they're just such strong, well-rounded athletes. And it's because they do, you know, so much training um, in so many different, areas. Um, so, so yeah, so that's been really fun.
0: Now you're a very active coach. You have what a roster of like 50 or 60 athletes, roughly speaking, um, with McCurdy trained has this revelation for you changed the way you coach some of your athletes.
1: It has definitely changed my outlook on cross training for sure. I mean, before I started triathlon, I was very much like nope, you know, if you want to be a better runner, you need to run. And, and for the most part, that's true. But I tell you what, like, I have some athletes that are cross, that, I, that I'm recommending more cross training now than I had before, or I'm more open to the idea that you can be just as good of a runner, you know, running four days a week and two or three days of biking as you are, you know, running six days a week. And, and I do have a, couple, a few runners that do this. Um, so yeah, so that has changed my outlook because I really didn't think that, um, the swimming and the biking would hold my running fitness as well as it has. Um, I, I just, mm-hmm. I just figured, you know, i I'm probably just not going to be as good of a runner or as fast as a runner, uh, when I'm Ironman training and that's fine. You know, I just, you know, you just do what you can, you know, you train like a triathlete and that's, you know, the way, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to split your time up, but even though I'm running so much less than I was when I was training for, you know, marathons. Um, uh, I mean, I'm almost in just as good of shape. I really am. Um, so that, that's been really, really surprising to me. The biking has helped. It's the biking that's helped hold my fitness more than anything. And I just didn't think that it would translate, um, you know, to, you know, help my run as much as it has. But, um, definitely has. And, and a lot of it too, is just, um, the strength from the leg strength from the bike more than maybe the aerobic, um, part that's helped. Um, I don't know, but it, it definitely works.
0: (laughs) Now, now, how has it affected, um, your appetite and your diet? Because you're obviously burning know so many calories now with with this with this training and you know you mentioned before that like obviously marathon training is a lot less in time perspective but it was it did beat up your legs more but you're burning a lot more calories now than you have in the past and it's been consistent over a couple of months like how has that affected your you know what what you feel like you have to fuel with and just like just like the, the normal dietary urges that we all have
1: yeah, I mean, I'm hungry all the time. It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I eat way more than I ever did during marathon training. And, you know, uh, what's interesting is the bike makes me so hungry. Like, I oh, can go out I for- I know exactly
0: a- what you mean. I spent a whole summer biking when I was in college, and I, I swear to God, I would come back from a ride, and I think I would eat for longer than I was actually on the bike.
1: Yeah. I mean, that surprised me so much because, you know, I still, you know, even when I was marathon training, I can go do a two hour run and not really need much. Maybe, maybe one goof. Sometimes I wouldn't really need anything, honestly. And and I can still do that. I'll go for 12, 13 miles. That's kind of my longest run that I do these days and not need anything. But I go for an hour and 15 minutes on the bike. I'm bringing food with me. (laughs) I don't know what it is about cycling. But man, I cannot make, you know, I've got to eat on the bike if I'm going longer than an hour. It's crazy. I don't know what it is. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always hungry. Like, I mean, I'm eating in the morning before, you know, so so kind of my routine is, you know, eat something in the morning, you know, toast and you know, peanut butter toast is kind of my thing, you know, with coffee and I do my do my bike ride like an hour, hour 15 and and then I'll eat after that. Um, and this is on else. this is on the trainer? Yeah, well right now right now I'm on the trainer because my bike my my uh my the bike that I took to Nice is actually at my mom's house, but that's another story. So <laughs> I I had to send my bike home with my sister who came to watch so that Brian and I could go backpack without the bike you know so i oh, have man. my talk, other talk, bike talk
0: about it takes a village that's a whole new it one right does. there.
1: <laughs> it does it does it does so right now i'm on the trainer which is fine uh I'll, I'll i'm excited to get my bike back my other bike back soon but um so i'll do that in the morning and then i eat after i bike And then I'll go run, you know, and then it'll be noon after that. And then I eat lunch and then I'll go swim, you know, and I eat after that. Like, I mean, I don't count my calories. I just eat when I'm hungry and it's all the time. You know, it's just ridiculous. I just... I mean, I'm annoyed because it's so, it's just, it just takes so much time out of my day, you know, like I got to do all of this exercise. I don't have time to like eat all the time, you know, but um, yeah, so it's just a lot more food, a lot more fuel. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess I wasn't really expecting that either, but it makes sense. You know, I'm exercising nearly twice as much as I ever was when I was just running full time, you know. Um, But yeah, it's you definitely have to up your calories. That's for sure.
0: So are there are there any kind of like dietary guidelines? Guidelines is too strong of a word, but anything that you try to do or try not to do? From an eating perspective, um, like, is there any like not? And again, rules is too harsh of a word. But are there any things that you try to keep in mind when you're eating, or is it more just like calories in my belly? Let's let's just do yeah, this. Yeah,
1: you know what? I am like, I would, I would not want anyone to ask me about nutrition because I just, I, I think people overthink it. Really, like, truly. Um, you know, I try to simple you know in simplest terms. You know, eat real food, not a whole lot of sugar um, or or processed food. You know, and other um, but otherwise, you know, I don't really think about it a whole lot. You know, um, you know, if if you were looking at like a pie chart of macros, I try to do like I would say equal equal percentages of fat carbs and protein kind of things so I think I, I feel like I need all of those um but I don't keep track of anything I don't really think about it um you know like at, in nice the morning of the race I got up and I was so excited because I ate um, a, a nutella croissant for <laughs> you know like if I'm in Nice, I'm definitely going to eat the donuts there, you know. But, um, you know, I like I said, I I don't really overthink it. Um, you know, real foods, um, you know, less processed food and sugar, you know, and sugar is what I try to do. But, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm eating the half empty, you know, the half bowls of cereal that my kids leave on the table in the mornings all the time, you know. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's. Yeah, it's really I really think people overthink that part honestly. Um yeah, I mean, I think nutrition is super super important during the race for sure. I definitely try to make sure that um I have my nutrition spot on. Um which so I usually do like 600 calories of Ucan, which is into, you know, so a th- two 300 calorie bottles of Ucan on the bike plus like 200 calories of chews. So it's like 800 calories on the bike. And then I'll take two goos with me on the run. And sometimes I don't need them. Sometimes I'll only take one goo on the run. Um, But yeah, so you definitely, I mean, you can definitely bonk, you know, in the race if your nutrition isn't right. And and, then that's just disaster, especially for your run. So you gotta make sure that you're fueled up on the bike. but uh but yeah as far as nutrition goes on uh, in in a general sense I just I think I don't overthink it. I just eat a lot and, <laughs> and make sure I'm fueled enough for my workouts and uh, able to recover from them.
0: Right. And I think that's also a byproduct of just how much work you're putting in, right? I mean, on some level like you're putting in that kind of work, it's like, "Hey man, like, you know, as long as it you're It doesn't not, matter
1: like, what you eat. Yeah, yeah. On, mean, some, on some level, right. like obviously,
0: you don't want to give yourself diabetes, but like besides that, like it's just about like, all right, I just need to like maintain the caloric input output here.
1: I mean, I I totally agree with that. You know, I mean, yeah, that there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah.
0: So you talked earlier about some of like these like high level stud women are running, you know, one seventeen off the bike, like you said. Obviously, your background is from is is through running. How has your your half marathon improved during these, um, 70.3s over the past three months. Like what, what, what's the, what's the times been like as you've gone, you know, through from, you know, May into September.
1: Yeah. So that's been interesting because I don't know that my run, my open run fitness has changed a whole lot, but certainly my run off the bike has gotten better. And some of it has to do with um, how hard I was biking during the race, what my effort was on the bike and trying to find that balance of biking um, fast enough, you know, you know, biking fast enough and running fast enough so that my overall time is as fast as it needs to be. Um, And some of it, uh, some of it's just getting was getting used to running off the bike with heavy legs. I mean, in the in, initially in, in April, May, when I was practicing running off the bike, my legs were so tired and so heavy, you know. But now they don't – I mean, I'll run off the bike, and it doesn't feel any different to me than it does just um, running not off the bike, honestly. So in May, um, in my first 70.3, I ran like a 132 – half. Um, I mean, it was, that it was my first one. It was really, you know, the other thing I didn't consider was in all of these races, you're running in 75, 80 degrees, you know, by the time the the run starts, you know, you don't really, I never really considered that because in the half marathon, you know, it's always like at 7am, you know, even on the warmest day, it's maybe 65, you know, 67, 68 at the start. Um, but, uh, but not only have you, you know, swam for 30 minutes and biked for two and a half hours, but now you got to run in 80 degree weather, you know, in the middle of the day, it's completely different, you know? And um, you're wearing
0: a suit. You're wearing like this tight suit. Yeah. Well. Does, that, does that, you know, trap the heat in as well?
1: Yeah. So that was the other thing. Like it was a new rule this year in some of the races. And I make sure to read the athlete guide. Like it's like, for example, at Chattanooga, where you can strip your suit so that you're only running in your sports bra. In previous years, it hasn't been like that. You had to keep your suit up or keep your suit on. You could uh, you could zip your zipper down to your sternum, but you couldn't like run in a sports bra. (laughs) <laughs> you know and so um at some of the races they allow you to run in the sports bra now um and at some of the races i don't know that they do so you just have to read the athlete guide um, which is hysterical because
0: so that- i saw i saw like a tweet i swear to god it was two days ago from a professional triathlete and it was like if i could describe the triathlon in one word it's nudity and like i like juxtapose oh, really? that with like what you're describing it's such a, it's such an <laughs>
1: interesting combination. Huh. No, I, huh. I don't, I, I don't, I haven't seen that. But, um, so, so I ran 132, you know, at Chattanooga and, um, I was like, you know, that was really hard. Um, so yeah, I need to, and and my first thought was I need to run off the bike more. Um, I was like, my legs were tired. Um, you know, like I just wasn't used to running hard off the bike and it was just kind of this rude awakening. And so the next race, Steelhead went a lot better. I ran um 127, so that was like five minutes faster. It was also a lot less humid though um in Michigan, so I think that had something to do with it. The course wasn't quite as hard either, um, but uh, so yeah, So that was a really good run for me actually. And then the next one, Muncie, I got um I got greedy and I said I'm gonna bike as hard as I can. And then I'm going to run as hard as I can. And I'm just going to, you know, it's going to be awesome. You know, I'm going to run this great time, you know? <laughs> and so I went out there on a mission on the bike and I completed my mission on the bike and then I paid for it on the run. So I bike 218, which was a fantastic time and the fastest ever. But the other, it was like super, super hot. My heart rate was really high. So My effort on the bike was so much more than it had been um, at Steelhead the previous race. And then I missed a bottle. um, And I probably should have had more like four bottles on the bike, but I only had three. And then I missed one. So I only had two. So I was like super dehydrated going into the run. And it was, the run was a disaster. I mean, after the first three miles, I was walk running. I can't remember the last time I felt that bad, like in a running race. And it was just miserable. So I ran 134 there and I finished and I was really kind of, I I was mad at myself. Like, man, I like just didn't execute properly. You know, I really messed that up. So then at Ohio, I got my act together. Well, let me just
0: stop you right there, though. But like on some level, you must have been able to like that must have been a really good learning experience of like, okay, well, now I know now it's not just like theory. I'm able to like learn from this because I I experienced it firsthand.
1: Oh, I absolutely did. I was like, okay, now I get it. Like my heart rate was 170, like, you know, the whole bite. I'm like, that's way too high for me. Like that was not going to that did not elicit a good run. And then at Chattanooga, my first race, my heart rate was like 158 and I ran a little bit faster, but you know, I ran 132 off the bike, but at Steelhead, my heart rate was only 150, 152, and I ran 127 off the bike. So that, and that gave me the best overall time, even though my bike at Steelhead was, um, was, uh, much slower, you know? And so that, okay, that's that's the level of that's the appropriate level of effort for me. I'm gonna keep my heart rate in the 150s, you know, low 150s. And, and I think that's the right heart rate on the bike that I need to have the best run, you know, to have a good run and have the best overall time possible. And so that's what I decided to do. So I went into Ohio and I had, you know, gotten second place at the last, you know, the my last three races. So I really wanted, you know, I wanted to win this one, you know. And what was interesting was the gal who beat me at um, Chattanooga, Megan, um, by 20 seconds, she had won Ohio 70.3 last year. So I figured she might be there, you know. So that was another interesting thing. Like, okay, Megan might be here again. You know, it's would be a good race. Um, but, you know, I was mostly concerned about, you know, I can't control what other people are doing. I need to, I want to execute this properly so that I have a good race because this, was also my last 70.3 before worlds. I wanted to just go in, you know, leave, leave, you know, go into worlds like kind of knowing that I can execute this race to the best of my ability. And so that's what I did. So this I did the swim and the swim went pretty well. It was like my fastest swim, you know, full swim. And so I started I started biking and yeah, uh, you know, I decided you know, I'm going to monitor my effort. I'm going to check my pride. Uh, I'm going to keep my heart rate in the one fifties and, um, and, I, and I'm gonna, you know, just, uh, just be cool here. So, so I start biking, you know, we had a, a really good tailwind on the way out and a headwind on the way back. And I think that messed with a lot of people, but I just, um, biked, um, an even effort, um, at the same power, just kept my heart rate in check. And I didn't try to, I didn't try to kill it. Um, so I had a really good bike, you know, it was like 221 or yeah, which was which was a little bit faster, I think, than Steelhead, but my effort was on on target. Um, and so when I got off the bike and I started running, I felt so much better than I did at Muncie. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm gonna have a much better run today. And um, so I did. I had you know, I ran 128. It wasn't quite as good as steelhead, but it was on a harder course. Um, and it was, it was a much hotter and more humid day than in Michigan. So that, that was probably my best run off the bike effort. Um, and I ended up having my best overall time at that point, um, uh, which was 4:32. I mean, I had, I had a much faster time at Chattanooga, but the swim was downstream and short, so it can't really count that, but, um, but yeah, so I so my run off the bike had gotten a lot better, mostly um, being being determined. I feel like by my effort on the bike. So I learned a lot, you know, along the way, and was able to kind of make some changes and tweaks um, in training and in racing to kind of give me the best um, overall race.
0: I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also they have science backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLING RUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. Yeah, for sure. And you also have the situation where, like you mentioned, with the heat acclimation, it's a totally different ball game. And and you're in a situation now where you're coming off the bike where you're really monitoring your heart rate the whole time to manage your effort. How much of that same monitoring were you doing when you were doing the run? None. Nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? So it's funny because I feel like no matter um, what pace I'm running, even in practice or in the race, my heart rate shoots up to 165. Doesn't matter what pace I'm running. I mean, my heart rate's always so much higher when I'm running um, than it is on the bike. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, in a good day in practice, like I, I, I can barely get my heart rate into the 150s for whatever reason. I mean, I, I can get it into the 150s, 160s if I'm really, really trying hard. You know, in a race, um, and obviously even 170 if I'm super dehydrated. But for the most part, um, my heart rates are much lower on the bike. Um, but in the run, I have no problem getting my heart rate up, and so it's just high no matter what. So I have to judge my effort on the run based on my training, and I haven't nailed that down yet. I start way too fast, Matt, and um, but I've been able to. I, I've been better. I've been doing better. I usually fall off pace around miles seven, eight, nine. Before you know, in Chattanooga and in, and in Muncie, I was falling off pace at like mile three. You know, so um, you know my because my runs my runs at home go really really well, um, but I'm not biking 56 miles before them. You know, and so I'm th- you know I think well maybe I can run. You know, I keep thinking I can run six thirties off the bike. You know. And I haven't been able to do that yet. Actually, I almost did it at Worlds. Um, so that was like the first time where I almost felt like I met my potential on the bike. I, I still feel like I have a lot, um, a lot more improvement to, or, or I, I still have a lot of potential on my run off the bike. But I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting closer. But it, it is really hard for me to judge what my pace needs to be. Um, because uh, because the course and the weather and just how I'm feeling after three hours of exercises is, is all different in every race, you know. It's not like I'm on the starting line fresh, you know, thinking, "Oh, I should. I know what pace I should run." You know, there's all these different factors um, that I just have to kind of figure it out at the at that point in time when the run starts, you know.
0: And one factor we haven't mentioned is the terrain on the bike. And I can't wait to talk about Worlds because that was, it seemed to be uh, an extreme that you hadn't had before. But what was the, what what do these bike courses look like by and large, um, you know, before you got to Worlds?
1: So um, three of four of them were completely flat, pancake flat, you know, Uh, Steelhead Muncie in Ohio, like not much Going on in terms of hills or elevation at all. Um, Chattanooga was was rolling, uh, but it didn't feel like it. It was just slightly. It was just these mild rollers, um, and largely the last half of the race was this kind of slow downhill. Anyway, um, so it was still a fast course. Um, but yeah, but by and large, all my training is on flat terrain. I live in Ohio, and I train on bike, you know, bike paths. So I knew, you know the course in Nice was going to be way different. You know, it, there was um, 4,200 feet of climbing between miles six and 22. So if you do the math, it's 250 feet per mile for 16 miles. So for over, you know, for an hour and 15, 20 minutes, you're climbing 250 feet per mile. Yeah, And so I knew that that was the case, but I really couldn't like wrap my head around what that would be like because there's nothing here in Ohio train like that you know so I did find a few hilly routes you know with a lot of elevation but it was more up and down um and I trained on that I thought okay you know like this will be fine you know maybe maybe you know I don't know like (laughs) this is kind of as good as I'm gonna get you know um so so yeah so I went to Worlds and um You know, I was super excited about the whole experience and, um, you know, was going in pretty naive about what to expect, especially on the bike course. But I was like, you know, whatever, this is going to be, this is going to be super fun experience. This is going to be really cool, you know? Um, so the swim went fine. Uh, actually had my best swim I'd been working on my swim and we were also in the Mediterranean Sea, which was different because as soon as we got into the Mediterranean, like I start swimming and I take this big gulp and it's like oh my gosh this is like salt water <laughs> I didn't even think about it you know it was my first foray swimming in you know oh my
0: gosh I didn't even think about that as someone like <laughs> I live in the ocean state like if, you, if you're swimming around me like it's it's all salt water so I didn't even think about that when you're talking about all these swim courses
1: yeah I, I'd only been swimming in reservoirs and lakes and then Chattanooga was a river you know so <laughs> That was like, oh wow. I I just didn't even think about it. And so I was like, well, don't swallow the water. I don't want to like get too thirsty, you know? Um, but and it was um in the the water wasn't that rough. I mean, there was definitely a current and it was kind of in our face when we turned a couple corners, but for the most part I had my best my best swim by a few minutes and I think that really made a difference in my overall placement actually. Um, so then, um, the, the transition area was different. I kind of messed up transition because, uh, you go into transition and there's one area where you grab your helmet and your shoes and such. And then you have to stick your wetsuit in the bag, run over, drop it off, and then run into another transition area to your bike. So it was, they call it a clean transition where like nothing is on the ground. You, you know, you have to drop off all your stuff into the bag and then give it to a volunteer kind of thing. So it was kind of complicated. And so I went into transition, I grabbed my bag and I just dropped it right there. And I start putting up, you know, trying to fish in there and get my shoes. And the guy's like, no, 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 you have to go over here. And he was telling me I have to like run, you know, another 20 feet down, um, on the other side of the transition area to, to put my shoes and stuff on. They didn't want me changing like right there. And so that I wasted a lot of time because I put all my stuff back in the bag and go down to the end of transition and change anyway. So I did that. And so, so my transition was a little, was slower than a lot of the top women. I I got it right in transition two, but transition one, I totally messed up (laughs) surprise. Um, (laughs) but, um, so then I got on the bike course and the first, you know, five miles was, you know, flat, was fine. And then we got to mile six where the climbing started. And I was just like, is this really happening? <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. And the first thing I thought of was there was nothing in Ohio that could have prepared me for this. And the second thing I thought about was I can't believe we're qualified to do a course like this. I mean, it was just – insane you know like it was exactly kind of like i feared <laughs> you know like i like i couldn't really wrap my head around but i thought are we really doing that and we were really doing that you know i mean i felt like i was in you know a european cycling mountain you know stage race and, and i mean we pretty much were you know um so you know i start you know biking up the you know, trudging up the the mountain, you know, with everybody else. And honestly, I did I was doing well. Like, I mean, I was past the 40 to 44 year old age group was in front of me and I was passing a lot of them. Um, and I felt like I was performing really well for the training I had to my potential, but I realized like my head was in the clouds when I thought that I could be like the top amateur on this course, you know? And so, so at that point, I like immediately changed my goals in my head. And that's something I've been doing actually all season. I kind of changed my approach to like racing and my goals. I still set like super high goals, right? But like, if, you know, if you think about it, we set our goals based on how we think we can perform on an ideal day, right? But that almost never happens, you know? And so what we do though, is like, if we're not like quite meeting our goal and we see our like a goal going out the window, a lot of times, you know, we'll get really defeated or, or just, you know, we'll, we'll get really down on ourselves in the race. And then we kind of mentally give up and then we finish. And we're not only disappointed that we didn't reach our goal, but we're really more disappointed that we gave up during the race, you know, or we didn't, um, do the best that we could have for the day, you know? And, So, um, because, you know, I race a lot and I know this, and so I've just been changing my approach. Like, you know what, like as long as I'm giving my best effort for the day, you know, that's got to be satisfying and that's got to be fulfilling, you know, at, at, you know, when I, when I finish, um, otherwise you're just going to be, you set yourself up for a lot of disappointing races if Your only judge of success is meeting your A goal, you know, I mean, if there's all these uncontrollable factors, you know, with the weather or the terrain or the competition that don't allow you to meet what you thought was your A goal. you know, then you're going to set yourself up for a lot of disappointing races. You know, if, if that's your only judge of success, right?
0: And I've and I've heard this. I've heard I've heard other people say this as well, and 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 it definitely rings true. But it's especially insightful coming from you because you're one of the most competitive people I know. So to hear you say that, um, it just feels different because I know that you're not someone who's trying to rationalize a race or trying to like wrap their head around a performance that didn't meet their standards, and they're just trying to figuring out you know, how do I, how do I, you know, kind of continue to move this train along? Like, yo yeah, man, you're, you're diehard. So to hear you say this, um, it does, it does feel a little different for me as opposed to like, if I said it after like a 5k didn't go well or something.
1: Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I feel like, you know, because of the way I approach races, you might think, you know, when I talk about, you know, my result that, oh, I've always met my goal, but I, I really don't. You know, there's a lot of times where I don't meet the goals that I've initially set, but it's because, but the way I approach it is that, well, there were all these uncontrollable factors why I didn't meet it. And this is what we do, right? We always rationalize, well, there was all these uncontrollable factors where we didn't meet our goal and blah, blah, blah. But I don't really look at it like that. I, I look at it like, well, um, you know, I just changed my perception in the middle of the race, you know, and I just kind of changed my goals in the middle of the race. And I still was able to give my best effort for the day, you know, after I kind of, you know, changed my goals based on, you know, what the what the reality was, you know, and how I was performing or the weather or the terrain and when I cross the finish line, you know, if I know I've given my best effort based on the factors I can control, I feel a lot better. I, I feel satisfied with the race, you know, like, okay, I did the best I could that that, you know? Um, yeah, I didn't make my A goal, you know, but um, based on what I could control and what I did, you know, like, that was a great race for me, you know? Instead of listing off all of these uncontrollable factors about why we didn't make our A goal, like, that's very... It's, that's still very unsatisfying, and it leaves you feeling very unfulfilled, you know? Um, so I think we, we all just need to, like, look at our races differently so that we don't set ourselves up for disappointment if we don't make our A goal because there's all these uncontrollable factors that prevented us from doing that, you know?
0: That's really well said. That's really well said. And and this is like a great way of, of looking at like how you're handling this rough terrain on the mountains, right? Because you're sitting there you're like, all right, goodbye. good Goodbye, like whatever time goal you would set for the race. Oh, um, yeah. Bike. I
1: was like, I'm going to run. Yeah, I I could bike a 235 on that. Yeah. Th- yeah. The top pro, I think, biked a 235. You know, like it took. <laughs> So, I mean, I stopped looking at the time, you know. I mean, I was like wanting to be top amateur. Like I knew that probably was out the window. But I just, you know, I knew I know from experience, because I raised so much that um, you know, I need to just change my mindset mid-race, change my goals, and still give my best effort for the day so I can be satisfied with the result. Because if I just stew on it and I give up mentally and I finish. I'm actually more disappointed that I didn't give my best effort than I am that I didn't meet my goal. Always. Everybody is. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, so I know that. So I just like, okay, it's fine. Like I'm doing the best I can. Like, and I wasn't disappointed with myself. I just knew that my, a goal was unrealistic, you know, like top amateur, like that's just unrealistic. Um, So I just, so were you,
0: so were you managing heart rate at this point? Because obviously you're going uphill, I mean, up a mountain, literally your heart rate must have, you know, you said your head was in the clouds. Your heart rate must've been there too, because obviously going uphill on a bike is like the worst thing in the world.
1: Yeah, well, I knew that, you know, the heart rate thing, I wasn't going to monitor it as much because I knew like, even if my heart rate was high in the 170s, which it might be, which I, I don't think it was, a, I was able to get it up that high, even, even going uphill like that, maybe, but I would have a long break. I would have one hour of downhill riding where I knew I wouldn't be able to push on um, because it was so technical to, for my heart rate to recover. And so that made a difference in my strategy. So I wa- so my strategy was I need to ride as hard as I can uphill. And on a course like this, where it's like straight up and then straight down, it's more about power in your legs, like pow- power in your legs and then technical riding down the hill than it is about straight up aerobic fitness. And that's kind of, obviously I learned that you know, I didn't have the specific muscle strength or specific climbing strength that some of these women had because I just hadn't practiced it, you know? Um, So like I had, there was two women that passed me like I was going, like I was standing still. And I could not figure out how they were doing that. Like I could not have responded if I wanted to. Like I wasn't breathing hard, Matt. Like aerobically, I felt great, honestly. But it was the power in my legs. Like I just didn't have that power that these other women did and and i figured okay that's why i do so well in the flat courses because i'm like an aerobic monster you know but um as far as like really like you know strong i guess powerful climbing legs i just didn't have them because i didn't i don't practice that way i didn't train like that so that was and you're
0: you're new to it right i mean like for all intents and purposes you're still like a novice
1: Uh, Uh, Totally. Totally. I mean, this was like such a ridiculously hard course. I couldn't believe that we were qualified to do it, you know. Um, But I mean, it was such a cool experience. So I was like, whoa, like this is like exactly like I imagined and feared, you know. And so like I am like – I mean, I was just, I was really taking it all in. I wasn't, I I felt like I was doing really well actually for my ability. And I was, you know, I just couldn't, I was keeping up, but I couldn't pass people like I can when the road is flat, you know? Um, so I actually lost like two places in my age group as I was climbing. And I mean, I didn't know any of this. I'm just doing the best I can. Um, and so we got to the top and then, then starts the descent and, I knew the descent was going to be technical and scary and hard. And it was all of that, you know. Um, It was so crazy, Matt. I mean, Matt, there was um, one athlete that died on the descent and another one that's still in a coma. And I don't want to talk about that, you know, out of respect for the athletes and the families. But this was insane like I mean like I was scared for my life like honestly like (laughs) like, this course had you know I could not have even ridden this course uh in in May you know that was like my first foray out on the road on the time for a bike so like I just was like I have four kids at home, <laughs> and I'll tell you what—I did descend fearlessly, without you know, like still fearlessly, but at the same time, was like you know, I this is not worth risking life and limb, you know, and it was like great It was just it was insane. I mean, it was insane. Do, so do you, do you
0: just have to like push your thoughts to the side and just stay in the moment? I mean, not you only, have to, like, to- and, I don't, and I don't even mean from like a time perspective. I just mean from like being able to focus perspective. Yes.
1: It was such intense focus, the entire ride down. Like th- and that's exactly the best way to describe it. I mean, just intense focus going around the curves, you know, um, uh, you know, there's all these switchbacks, you know, and you know, you're going 30 miles an hour, but you got to slow down around the curve, but how much, you know, you're still in a race. Um, yeah, it was really scary. And, and then you, it was and it was cool too, because you kind of went through some towns on the way down too. So that was neat. I mean, it was just like I watched on TV on the Tour de France. It was crazy, cool experience, but man, when I got down, like it was utter relief, really like, oh my gosh, okay. I made it through the bike, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was scary and it really was above my ability. And I mean, uh, like, I, I mean, I still can't believe that we were qualified to ride on that kind of course. I don't even see how, but it was so different than anything that I had experienced before. Um, yeah, I was really just, I mean, it, it was an epic experience, but just very relieved that I <laughs> had made it down, you know? Um,
0: right. I mean, like, they they couldn't have come up with a course that was, like, worse suited for you as a rider.
1: I know. Right? Well, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, I, I
0: mean, like, a- like, I mean you, you don't have the technical skills for the same reason you don't have the power skills. You just haven't been doing it very long and you don't have the places to practice those things.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad. I mean, like, I mean, it, it, you know, any other course I would have fared much better place wise, you know, um, and just uh, time wise for sure. You know, I mean, but that's just not what this course was, you know, so it's just it's just what it was. Um I mean, and so I was just that, you know, I I was there for the experience and to do the best I could. And I mean, I knew what the course was like. Um, so but I didn't really know. Like I was hopeful, like, oh, I can still do fine on this. Like I can be I can still do just as well as a can of the flats. No, not, not even, you know, like it, you really needed specific training um on that kind of course, both with climbing and downhill descent, the technical ability. Yeah, I got my butt kicked, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I still got second overall, you know, in my age group. Um, I didn't do nearly as well overall as I thought. And a lot of that had to do with the bike course, but, um, I mean, I still was top 20, you know, I mean, I I did okay for, for my training and picking up the bike in February. I mean, I thought to myself, like I did the best I could. And I did, I did pretty good, you know, um, I did what I could, you know, I did everything I, you know, I, I knew how to do. So, um, so, I mean, when I got down, I was pretty pleased with myself. Like, okay, I did everything I could. And, yeah, I'm not going to meet any of these uh, outlandish goals that I set. But that's okay because I'm just doing the best I can for for the day, you know. Um, so I started running and I heard, you know, I was so excited to run because um, I could control the run <laughs> a little bit more and uh, my destiny there. And Brian was shouting, you're four minutes behind second place. So I thought, oh, that's really good because I still thought maybe I can podium – you know, first, second, third, you know, my age group kind of thing. And, um, you know, but of course I had no idea, like, who was my competition as I was passing them because there's all these waves in front of us. And um, I started actually running with this woman from Mexico. So that was really fun. And, you know, she she was saying – I don't know what she was saying. In my mind, she was saying, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, she was – I mean, not in the same language. But I don't – you know, I'm but that's what I'm hearing, you know. So we were, like, cheering each other on. And she was – uh, encouraging me. And that was, that was great. Um, and so I think I ran with her until like mile 10 and then she started to pull ahead. Um, and, uh, but you know, I just kept pushing and pushing and I don't know who my competition is or when, you know, all these women started, like, I mean, um, I caught up to the woman from Mexico, so maybe she had started a couple minutes in front of me, like who knows, you know? And so I crossed the line. Um, I, my, well, first of all, my first ten k was like six twenty pace, which is awesome. I felt great. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. And then I just totally bonked. It just got hot. You know, it was it was it was warm. And um, dang, you know, I just couldn't I just couldn't hold it. Uh, but I still had my fastest run off the bike yet on a really really tough bike course. I mean, my legs were so tired and heavy at the end of that run, probably more so than they ever have been because of all the climbing, you know. Um, But aerobically, I did, you know, I felt pretty good. And I, uh, and I was able to run, you know, just under 126. So, um, you know, eventually, I feel like I should be able to run 122, like I should be able to hold 120s, because I feel like in practice, that's kind of what I'm doing. But uh, again, I'm not doing that after, you know, a 56 mile bike in practice or anything like that. But it's just going to take a little bit more, strength and, um, you know, crack, you know, and just, just more time, more training. Um, so anyway, I was pleased with my run and I ended up, you know, being able to go into second place by 15 seconds. So every second does count even in a five hour race, you know? Um, and so I was really, I was actually really happy. With that. I felt like I executed as well as I could for the day, um, with the, with the, the nature of the course for sure. And I had my fastest swim, my fastest bike. So I couldn't complain about that or sorry, fastest swim and fastest run. So I couldn't complain about that. And the bike course, I really did feel like I executed to the best of my ability. And I was like, Oh, it's such a bummer. It wasn't like a flat course. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Like, you know, so, um, uh, it was also a super cool opportunity to bike a course like that. So that was, um, so that was really neat.
0: And in the the finishing pictures that I've seen um, at the end of your run, it looks like you're, you know, about 20 to 30 yards ahead of another woman. Was she in your age group?
1: I You know what, Sue? I have no idea. Like, I mean, I saw her ahead of me and I sprinted past her. And I, I don't know. Well, you know what? I, and even if she was, she probably started a few minutes in front of me. Um, because I caught up to her. So maybe she, you know, I was second in my age group. She might have been tenth or eleventh. Like I don't even know who she was, you know. Like it's not like, oh, I finished fifteen seconds in front of her because I don't know when she started, you know. Like I started three minutes back from the first people who started in our group, you know. Um, so she might've started up front, um, in the swim and, you know, I don't know. And actually, I think that woman from Mexico started two or three minutes or two minutes in front of me. Um, cause I think I looked her up and she finished like fifth or sixth place, even though she finished a minute ahead of me in the run, you know? Um, so you just don't know because you don't know when people, we don't start together, you know?
0: This is wild. All right. So. Obviously, this is also like a running podcast. <laughs> you know. So obviously I can't wait to talk. You know, as as you go through your triathlon season, and this is just so it's just so entertaining to hear like your your trials and tribulations with this like new endeavor that you are at the same time while it's new and you're figuring out things all the time, you're also performing at a high level, which is, you know, somewhat paradoxical, but it is really fun to to hear about. So Obviously, with the trials in February, there's going to there's come a point where you're going to you know, spend more time doing more marathon-based training than you're currently doing. But you know, I know you're still trying to figure out exactly what your fall schedule is. Uh, so what, what lies ahead of you short term?
1: So um, I am going to run the Indie Women's Half Marathon in like 10 days. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to run this race, but they reached out to me and I'm not going to say no. So (laughs) I was like, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to do that. So yeah, so that's fun. Um, I, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know how I'll do. We'll just have to see. Um, I, I mean, I'm excited to, I haven't run, you know, an open running race in, in quite some time. It feels like a long time. So, um, so yeah, you know, I just, I don't know. I just took eight days off because I really needed a break. You know, I went hiking and stuff, but um.
0: You 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 your your days off aren't like days off. I mean, like (laughs) I saw you hiking up mountains. Like it wasn't like you were just like, oh, Monaco. I'm just gonna hang out in this.
1: I mean, I'm in good shape still. I just you know I, I am like I'm not really out of shape. So, um, yeah. So. I don't know though. I mean, I haven't run an open race in a while. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know how I'm going to do. I really just don't know. So we'll just have to. What
0: are you What are you going to treat? What are you going to treat the next ten days like, uh, from a training perspective?
1: Um, I'm still going to train like a triathlete. Yeah. So I'm going to do. Um, uh, you know, I've been biking and and running and I swam today too. So yeah. So I um I'm gonna I'm gonna do one race, just one. I'm pretty sure as a pro triathlete this fall and that's it. And then I won't do any other more, any more triathlons until after the trials. So I'm going to train like a triathlete um, until I do that race. I'm still trying to f- kind of figure out which one it is because honestly, I ha- had it in my head. I was going to do this one particular Uh, race as a pro in the fall. And then when I came back from World, I completely changed my mind (laughs) about which race I was going to do. So um, I'm still, like, finalizing those details. But um, other than that, though, I'm going to do the women's half, okay? And I'm going to do the Queen Bee half marathon um, two weeks after the women's half um, in uh, Cincy because I did that one last year, and it was really fun. And I won, and I want to be the Queen Bee again. So... (laughs)
0: That's, that's classic. <laughs>
1: yes. So, so I'm going to do that. And then um, and then kind of like goal race, uh, goal half will be the Indy Monumental half marathon. So, um, I, I mean, I would love to get close to my PR, you know. So we'll see. I mean, I'm capable of it. I think I'm running really well. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll just have to see. I I don't know. I don't know what I'll do at the indie women's half, but um, but for sure when um monumental rolls around, I'd like to give that a good effort. And then after that, like I'm I'm gonna just change over to training for the trials, you know. Um, I might run like the 3M half marathon um in Texas in January, and maybe the Phoenix half in February, and then the trials, and that's That's kind of the the scoop, I think. So that's yeah. I don't think I have any any other races on the schedule right now, but um, only six more.
0: Yeah, (laughs) only six more in the last three months. (laughs) Um, All right. So I was going to say was, um, I guess you know we'll 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 definitely connect around Monumental again, either before or after that race. Um, But before we do, I guess one last thing regarding the triathlon piece because. Um, you know, you, you've talked about this kind of on and off and I just want to like set the stage, you know, you now have an official professional card for triathlon. I'm just curious, like what, what is that terminology all about? Like officially turning pro, like what is the need for it? What is that process? Like what, how does that change your registration for races? Like what, what is that process all about? Um, cause it doesn't seem like there is that kind of line of demarcation in running.
1: You're right. There is not that line of demarcation of running. And it's, that's really annoying <laughs> because it, you know, it's up to the race directors and running to decide whether you're an elite athlete or not, or meet their elite athlete criteria, you know, but in triathlon, like you're either a pro or you're not, you, have your, you either have a, your pro card and you race as a pro and, um, or, or you don't, and you race as an age grouper. So, so, yeah, so that – so when you race as a pro, you can race for money. Uh, but in, you know, running races, anybody can race for money usually. Um, but at some of the big races like Boston, right, like you have to run in the elite field for for money. Um, but as a – Yeah,
0: a, yeah we, we saw that whole thing this year when we had – yes, couple uh, exactly. like Two years ago, we had a couple people who got top 10 time but weren't in the first corral.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But as a pro triathlete, there's just no bones about it. So um, – I mean, you'll see amateurs, you know, beating pro athletes all the time, not all the time, but sometimes, you know, um, and even if they were to finish in the money, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be eligible for it. Um, but yeah, so that, so that's basically what that means is that you're eligible to race for money. And so the, the process of signing up is a little bit different. You email Ironman and tell them what race you want to run. And, um, they, uh, you know, you still have to pay actually the fee to run the race. Um, but uh, but they add you to the start, you know, to the pro start list, and there are deadlines. This is this really cramps my style, man. Actually, so there's like deadlines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three weeks. Yeah, you're
0: you're a little bit more spontaneous, as we've learned so many times.
1: I can't just I just can't email Ironman and be like, dude, I really want to run your Ironman. You know, do your Ironman race in two days. Like, can you let me in? No, it doesn't work like that. Like, there's like deadlines. Like, usually three weeks before the race where um you have to enter and it's a hard deadline. You know, um so so that's that. And then you you know you race in the pro field and they start first. Um, Everybody starts together which is great because then you know who you're racing and where you're at, um, at all times. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, in general, it just means that you can race for money and you're, you know, the way you enter races is a little bit, um, different and, but like, and, and so your pro license is good for a year. So when you rate, when you decide to race pro, you're, pro that whole year. Now, if you want to go back to amateur racing, you can You um and and you can race as an you race as an age grouper the next year if you wanted to. Um and so some pros have done that. I think some, you know, pros that just aren't winning money, have decided I would rather just go rack up in the age group and 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 the other thing is, right? Like there's slots for age groupers to worlds and there's slots for pros to worlds. And obviously, it's a lot harder to get a slot to Worlds as a pro, right, than it is as an age grouper. So um, as an age grouper, there's like usually about two slots per age group. I mean, it doesn't always work out like that. Some age groups have a little bit, a few more slots than others, just depending on the race. Um, But in pro world, uh, there's only one, typically one slot per race um, to Worlds. And it's still on a roll down system, but technically, I mean, you have to basically win the race to be guaranteed the slot, you know. And and later on in the year, you know, when more people have their slots, um, it gets a little bit easier because the, the slots roll down more, you know. But still, there's only one slot per race, so it's much harder to, to go to Worlds as a pro, obviously.
0: Interesting stuff. Yeah. All right, Sarah just an amazing run of, of races you've been on. It really has been so much fun to see it happening. Um, I've really gotten to love your husband's Instagram feed because <laughs> him following him on race day is a nice, a nice mix of, of data and hysterical commentary. Um, I remember I, I sent him a DM at four 15 in the morning one day, right before I went out on a, uh, on a run be like, how is she doing? I think it was actually at worlds. Oh God, and he was like, nice. he's like, Dude, I wish I knew these mountains are killing her, though. I, I know that for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, he's a good sport for sure. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, well, we'll catch up again around Monumental in the meantime. Keep up the great work, Sarah. It's so much fun to see.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Matt. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Thank you,
0: Sarah, for coming on the show. Oh my goodness. Every single time I talk to Sarah, I just learned so much. And I'm, you know, even more in awe of her as a person and everything that she is able to accomplish. It's just so much fun. There's very few athletes at any level in any sport that I like to follow more than Sarah Bishop. And that's the truth. And that's not a negative on any athlete out there. I just think that it's just her personality mixed with what she's able to accomplish. And now, Combined with the fact that she's picking up a whole new sport and taking to it like a fish in water is just remarkable. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Go to Inside Tracker today and take a selfie from the inside by getting tested. Learn your biomarkers and adapt your diet in the best possible way and eat healthy while you're doing it. So you don't have to worry about the diet. Madness. So go to Inside Tracker today and use code Rambling Runner to save. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer David Marghetti from In Post Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song Evolution.